0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast brought to you by TargetInternet.com Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers and today we're joined with a a very experienced marketer, Joe. Joe, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background because you've been You've been you've been at this digital digital game for quite a while
1: hi karen it's uh it's great to be here yeah it's uh so um my background um, So i'm currently the founder of uh sherry a uh social media marketing tool but my background has already always been in in high-tech products and, and product marketing uh, I, I actually got my start play testing video games uh for a company that was making uh, sound cards for the pc back in the in the 90s um but you know, and moved from there to uh, software engineering. But I realized pretty early on that, you know, I wasn't a great programmer, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of people that were better at writing software than I was. Um, but I also realized at the same time, like that wasn't really where my my passion uh, fit, you know, I, for me, like writing software was a means to an end, but the, you know, the the, the end was the product that you were developing. And, you know, that took my career, you know, away from engineering into, you know, product management, product development, and marketing. And I've had, you know, held a number of positions. I was, you know, most recently in the email marketing space. Prior to that, I had, you know, done some like social media consulting and things like that. And then, you know, like I said, most recently launched Sherry basically to solve my own problem. But, you know, it's, you know, it's a tool that's, you know, that's in the marketing space.
0: So um, I want to come on to Sherry, but we got chatting uh, offline before we arranged this interview. And you had some brilliant stories that I want to explore a little bit. So one of the things we're going to explore is what you learned about... Uh, analytics from measuring people in their underwear (laughs) but before before we get into that uh, I I just kind of wanted to explore with you where do you think people's understanding of analytics often goes goes wrong because you've got you know a lot of experience in in this space you've worked some some really big uh, email automation uh, vendors in the past
1: yeah well I think you know one of the one of the things about analytics is you tend to maybe get caught up in you know in your ivory tower. You know, you, you lose sight of what your customers are, are, are really doing uh, because you're looking, you know, you, you try to you try to reduce everybody down to, to to numbers. And, you know, it's great when you you know are looking at things in aggregate, but there's a danger that you could begin drawing the wrong conclusions uh, based on, you know, maybe not a complete uh, picture of you know of what your audience is doing and analytics tools like google analytics and and kiss metrics and and those kind of things th- those kind of tools all have their place but you know when it, when it boils right down you know we're talking about people and not numbers and you don't want to lose the human side of of analytics uh, you know, nothing, nothing beats talking to your customers.
0: So you can't get much more human than measuring people in their underwear. Yeah. Joe. But can you, right? I think, I feel you need to explain yourself. Why were you doing this? And, and what was it that you learned about, you know, qualitative and quantitative analytics through measuring people in their underwear?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm a pretty shy person, you know, maybe uh, a little introverted. Uh, and a number of years ago, I worked at a company that was making a a, a body scanner for the apparel industry. In fact, uh, my first trip to the UK, uh, I spent about a week in in London on Regent Street uh, in the in the Levi's flagship store because they were one of our uh, one of our clients. So we had this this body scanner, and people would go into the scanner and they'd stand there, and 30 seconds we would take their body measurements, and from there we would recommend you know what type of clothes would would fit you best, and You know, when we were, you know, when we put the system together, we wanted to make sure that, you know, the system was well calibrated. So we had this, like this just cylindrical tube that had a, you know, perfectly, you know, perfect circumference from top to bottom. And, you know, we would measure this and we would get hard data that said, okay, this thing was measured, I think it was 36 inches. And, you know, that, that always worked great. But, you know, when we were developing, you know, we were trying to develop a new measurement off of our, uh, off of our system. And... You know we were having problems getting you know the measurement right so like the system would say one thing and the calibration tube said it was perfectly measured but then you know we tried it on people and it would it would be wrong so we we basically were like, all right, we gotta we gotta bring people in, and so I put an ad in Craigslist, and I, you know, I said I'm you know I'm looking for for people to come in for a fit measurement uh, for for the apparel industry. You need to be willing to strip down to your underwear. You know, we'll we'll pay you twenty five dollars and and we'll offer you pizza, and <laughs> <laughs> and and like, you know, I had to you know basically overcome this resistance to basically. Putting my arms around a you know a middle aged man and you know who's standing there in his underwear and uh, and take a take a measurement from
0: him. This is this is this is quite an image. Was he eating the pizza at the time, or did that come that come later? No, the, the pizza was
1: after the the pizza was after the uh, after the measurement.
0: That was a wise move. Yeah. Well,
1: we didn't want to you know adversely affect anybody's uh, body measurements, <laughs> but you know. Um, Stephen Pressfield is this uh, this this writer who talks about uh, resistance as he he personifies resistance, and you know he you know resistance is like your your frenemy you know you want you it's it's always there and you gotta you gotta work through it. So I had to you know overcome basically the the resistance to you know my, my internal resistance of uh, you know being an introvert. And, you know, put a tape measure around, you know, a bunch of people and, and take their body measurements. You know, I learned something by doing that. And nice. I learned something how it relates to, you know, uh, you know, qualitative analysis and quantitative analysis. So, like, the first key takeaway for me was for 25 bucks in pizza, you can get people to take their clothes off for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the bigger takeaway here is that, you know, it's not really that hard to get customer feedback. And um, you just got to overcome the resistance to, to ask, you know. So, so like... Don't be afraid to actually talk to your customers. You don't have to even pay them twenty-five dollars. You know, you can use tools like uh, Qualaroo to run uh, intercept surveys, or you can take a, an NPS survey to to get to get customer feedback. But you can also set up a good feedback loop in your organization uh, between sales and support uh, to help you know get that data back into your your marketing department so you can make uh, better decisions. You know, and the other takeaway was that people are squishy. But your data isn't. And, you know, so I, we were working with somebody who, you know, was wearing a size 32 pants and but the system measured him as 36. And, you know, we, we told him, hey, you're, you're you're really supposed to be a size 36. And he got really insulted. You know, because, you know, he's he's a human and, you know, this is what he he believed. Mm. And even though the hard data said one thing, you know, when you talk to the customer, he had a completely different perception. So, like, you know, you use tools like Google Analytics and, you know, it does a really good job of giving you. Uh, data in aggregate, but you know, as I was saying earlier, you could be making the wrong assumptions about something. You know, you could you could see that your your funnel stops at a certain point, and and your conversion rate is you know not what you expect it to be, but your you know the Google Analytics may not necessarily tell you why. Um, so you there's you know there's other tools that you can incorporate into that to get more qualitative analysis. So first off, you know like you, like I said earlier, you could actually talk to your customers. You know, you could put an intercept. Uh, survey or something like that in there and, and, and talk talk to them and find out why, but there's also a, a new market for uh, qualitative analysis, qualitative, an- qualitative analytics tools um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of a, a tool called Full Story. and Full Story, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it'll actually you know, record your audience's sessions on their website. So you know like I'll use it today uh, when I'm trying out uh, new landing pages. You know, you can actually watch somebody traverse your landing page and sort of hover over all of the content, and it gives you a better picture, you know, of where they might be getting stuck. So, you know, if your landing page has some text and you can see them sort of hovering around, you know, one spot, you know, it might, it might be that's the area where you need to dial in and maybe uh, clean up your, your messaging so that, you know, they can break through and, and, and actually do the, the conversion event that you're you're hoping for on your
0: on your site. Yeah, we've we've been using a similar tool at Target Internet. We're using Hotjar, but it does a very similar thing to Full Story and it's uh, it is amazing. Yeah. The the insights that it, it provides and uh the, the amount of work it's sort of generated and right we need to change this and this and this. But you know, it's good, right? It keeps things moving moving forward. And actually we would have been blissfully unaware. If, if we'd just sort of gone with the, the default analytics uh, reports in Google Analytics, so yeah, really helpful.
1: So did you see an, instances where you got an insight out of Hotjar that you would not have necessarily gotten from Google
0: Analytics? Uh, all the time. It's a very different tool, it's me- measuring very different things, but what I love is that you can, you know, with these tools, what you can do is you can literally get down to the individual uh, and, and sort of really walk in your customer's shoes, it's something I've I very often bang out, bang on about during podcasts, <laughs> but it, you know it is really important to do, and actually some of these tools really help you to 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 do that. And I think, I suppose, I think the thing, the important thing I think with it is actually we, we're using it to try and improve the user experience. So you know, like any superpower, you need to use it for good rather than bad. And and you know, used in the wrong way, I think they can be things like this can be quite intrusive. But but actually. Uh, you know, it, well, in most cases the data is anonymized, isn't it? You don't actually know the individual um, that, that's doing it, but you are able to to get a gist that actually, you no, know, something's not working here, or or something's broken. We need to fix it because why else would they have done this? So yeah, no, really good. It's 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 been very very insightful, very useful tool in our arsenal. Yeah, and I think touching
1: on the the usability aspect is uh, is really important. You know, one thing that your your traditional quantitative analytics won't tell you is. You know, if you have a dead spot on your on your site where you know there's somewhere that your your audience is trying to click because they think it goes somewhere and it doesn't you know that 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 creates a c- cognitive load on the people using your site and it's all of those little microtransactions that you know you can't you can't necessarily say this thing or this thing prevented them from converting but over time all of those little annoyances that add up that you would never see they just get you know, completely washed over in quantitative of analytics, um, you're really missing out on, on a big part of your picture.
0: I think they get washed over in people's lives as well. Because actually, think about it, we've all had bad website experiences, but how often do we actually, you know, reach for the keyboard and reach out to the organization to actually say, this is broken? you know it's just too much hassle you just you just don't you you, you just sort of moan about it when it crops up <laughs> the next time yeah. in conversation or oh, yeah, I had a bad experience did you tell people no but actually organizations should be you know checking this this kind of stuff and i think you know anybody listening out there if you're not doing some of this i'd really encourage you to to give something like this a go it's, it's very very insightful yeah and it, it doesn't necessarily involve getting people to strip down to their underwear and eat pizza but nonetheless the the, the lessons still the same
1: absolutely i mean i think you know, bringing an NPS survey into, you know, your marketing uh, toolbox is, is really helpful there. You know, it's, I don't know if you've you've
0: spoken about that before, but that's that's a really useful tool and very easy to set up. So I want to move things on. There's another question you, well, you, you sort of hinted at that you've taken a ninja aptitude test and that it's helped you to create better buyer personas. And I, <laughs> I just feel this needs to be explored slightly, Joe. What, 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 how do you how did you come about taking a ninja aptitude test? Right. So
1: <laughs> back in 1999, uh, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace came out, and you know, it it it, it kind of ruined my childhood a little bit because I grew up on the original Star Wars movie. I'm dating myself yeah. a little bit there, but um, you and me both. Right. So yeah, you and me both. You know, I didn't love the movie, but I thought the lightsaber fights were really cool, and I. Uh, I was I, I was watching like a making of uh, video and and the choreographer was a martial artist who was an expert in the in the martial art of kendo, uh, which is a Japanese sword fighting martial art. Okay. And I was like, oh my god, this is really cool. I want to learn. I want to learn kendo. So, and you know, I was looking. Uh, you know, I was actually back. This is you know, back when the, you know people still used yellow pages. I was trying to find a a local martial art place that taught kendo. So I come across this this one studio and I call up and I, you know, obviously I'm not going to tell him I, I want to learn Kendo because I, I want to be a Jedi Knight, you know, so, you know, I, I call up and, you know, I, this man answers the phone. He sounds like an older, older Korean gentleman. I said, uh, you know, I'd like to learn Kendo. And I, it was like, I said some kind of code word because he got real quiet and he's like, well, how, how do you know Kendo? And I said, well, you know, I, I it's a Japanese martial art. It's a beautiful, beautiful art. You know, art form, and you know, I'm I'm really interested in learning more about it. He said, "Well, you know, uh, kendo. I don't teach a kendo class. All I teach is ninja foo. and we teach kendo as part of that. And would you be interested in that?" And I was like, "Be a ninja? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm all I'm all for that. But of course, you know, I was trying to be serious. I'm like, oh, that that sounds really that sounds really interesting. I I would love to you know I'd love to learn more. So he invites me down to the uh, to the to the dojo." And, you know, I walk into this place and, like, there were ninjas, like, everywhere. You know, there's, like, you know, these guys throwing stars and they have all the weapons. They're climbing up the ropes and they're doing all kinds of crazy ninja stuff. And <laughs> I, I meet the, you know, the owner and, you know, my, like I said, it was this, this older Korean guy. And, and, you know, there's, like, there's, like, this moment when you meet somebody where you're both kind of sussing each other out. You know, it's, like, you know, so this guy looks at me, you know, and I'm, like, a... You know, I'm like a soft, you know, beer drinking, chicken wing eating software engineer, slightly overweight, you know, and I think he had this impression in his mind that I was going to be somebody else. And like in that moment, he's like, well, you know, ninja, you know, the ninja training, you know, you need to be a serious student and anybody who goes through our program has to pass a ninja aptitude test. Now, I swear he made this up on the spot because he just didn't want me in the studio. So I'm like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the test. So he has me doing all these different feats of strength and agility. And, you know, I go through this whole process. And, like, I think I was doing okay, but he was still trying to weed me out. So, you know, the the, the last step of the, the test, he tells me to lay down on the floor face down. I'm like, okay. And, you know, put my arms and my hands behind me. And then in like this final act of indignity, this, this, you know, 60 year old man reaches down, he grabs my arms and my legs, lifts me up and then starts shaking me, you know, I I don't know why, but he starts shaking me. And I did the only thing that anybody could do in that situation. I farted in his face. (laughs) So he, you know, he puts me down. We both, you know, I stand up, we both kind of look at each other. I knew like, all right, this is never gonna happen. Yeah, that's not good. And he's no, that, you know, that, he said that doesn't
0: happen in the Star Wars films when when Yod, when, when Yoda's training Luke Skywalker. That's yeah, that's it, <laughs> you, you never
1: you never see that happen. So he you know, he looks at me, I look at him, we're like, All right, you know, this isn't gonna happen. And, you know, like it's a funny story, you know, it's funny that it happened to me. It'd be funny if it happened to anybody. But I took a lot away from that. You know, I was like, you know, here's and I didn't really learn this lesson until a lot later, but you know i said here's here's somebody who was really focused on the type of person he wanted to attract into his gym and you know the the competition in the area for karate schools is really really fierce you know there's there's like three or four that have you know obviously big marketing budgets. And he can't compete with them, you know, so he had to really focus in on who it was that he wanted to, you know, really wanted to attract. Mm. And, you know, it's not just enough to know who your customer is, but it's also important to know who you don't want, because I think there's a risk of making compromises in your marketing and in your messaging to dilute it in order to attract A wider and wider group of people and unless you are really clear about who you're focused on you tend to sort of go down this this slippery slope of mediocrity you know
0: what i'm saying yeah you try and be all things to all people and you just then you do end up i know it's cliche but you do end up disappointing everybody really and i think i do you know what that's a brilliant story it is it is very true isn't it there's the right kind of customer and the wrong kind of customer and actually the organizations that take on too many of the wrong time of type of customers. It never ends well. It never ends well. And it, it absorbs vast amounts of resources, time and energy, and sometimes money as well.
1: You, you know what? You, you nailed the point exactly. You know, imagine if he took me on as a, as a client. I, I'm going to now come into his school You know, and he's bringing other people in that are more in line with who he wants. And they're taking a look at me and they're like, why did you let this guy in?
0: There's a part part of me that really wishes that had happened, because I think (laughs) I think there'd be some more good stories. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: But, you know, there's there's a lot of examples of this, you know, uh, even outside of um, the ninja school. You know, there's a, um, you know, a a department store chain, Sears, Mm -hmm. in the States. And, you know, they're they're really struggling and they're struggling because they're kind of stuck in the middle they don't know where they want to go they're not a specialty retailer you know they're not like gap or levi's or you know best buy where they're focused on you know a a core a core audience and a core product set and on the other end they're not you know target or walmart or some of these big box discount retailers so you know they're they're not able to compete on price and they're not able to compete on differentiation. So they're kind of stuck in the middle. And you know, because of it, you know, they're,
0: they're struggling and they're, they're closing stores. Some great insights there. And thank you so much for, for sharing those, those with us. I hope everybody's enjoyed them as much as I have. I, I, I really want to move on to y- y- what you're doing now. Because actually, you've, you know, you've worked for some really big organizations and large corporations. corporations and you're now working for yourself. And you, you're living the dream as far as I'm concerned, you've set up a a, a tool, and the tool's called Cherry, and I really want you to kind of talk us talk us through that but but before we do that, what's been the biggest challenge going from because you know, I know a lot of our audience maybe one day aspire to doing the sort of thing that, that you're doing um, what's been the biggest challenge in, in going from a large corporation to, to, to working for yourself
1: Well, I have to say, I mean, if you get the opportunity, you, you definitely should take it, you know, the, the idea of escaping the, the cubicle and the the traditional nine to five, I think, you know, you know, had a pretty strong appeal to me, you know, mainly because I, you know, I want to spend more time with my family. Um, but the the you know, a whole new set of challenges, you know, it's like, oh, I'm getting rid of the meetings and all the, you know, the trappings of a large corporation. But uh, I, I would have to say like the biggest challenge is where you focus your attention and being able to cut out the the cruft. And with regard to focus I think you have a tendency or I have a tendency to gravitate towards the things that I'm most comfortable doing <laughs> product, product design, software design. But once, you know, I recognize like once I hit it, hit a certain point where the product was good enough hmm. um, to read Hastings, the the founder of LinkedIn. Uh, I, think, I think he said this. He said, if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of your product, you launch too late. You know, so there's this <laughs> tendency for me to you know, want to spend time in that space when really none of that matters. What matters for me is you know, th- the top of the funnel and all the marketing and sales activities around uh, developing, you know, developing the top of the funnel. So I have to resist the urge to uh, do the thing that I'm comfortable doing and move towards the, you know, the thing that I'm not comfortable doing.
0: So let's talk about Sherry. What is this tool that you've given everything up and invested everything of your life into? Because I think I think it's a, a little bit special. And that's <laughs> why I reached out to you when you got in touch and said, yeah, we, we really need to, to to talk. Just share with the audience what it is and what it does.
1: Sure, Kieran, thanks. Um, so Sherry is a social media marketing tool that adds a call to action to curated content. Um, it's it's a really simple concept. But what I like about it, and the reason I, I you know, developed it was because it, it solved a problem that I had. So I was building a, uh, a product management uh, website. And, you know, I was trying to drive more traffic to my website. And, you know, you can do paid, paid media and earned media. And, you know, I was writing content. And, you know, you can only write content, you know, so fast. And at the same time, you know, I was curating a lot of great content, you know, or people were telling me they appreciated the content that I was curating uh, on my social media channels. So I was like, you know, it'd be great if I could get more value out of the content that I was curating, and that that sort of led me down the path of of Sherry. So basically what Sherry does is allows you to, when you find interesting content that you want to curate, you do it through Sherry. Sherry builds a distraction-free version of the content and allows you to place a call to action to drive traffic back to your site while you're sharing the content. So as a curator, you're you know, providing value to the people who have created the content, who they're now getting exposed to a wider audience because you're curating their content. Uh, and at the same time, you're getting value out of it because uh, if, if your audience is interesting, interested in the things that you are curating, uh, they might take advantage of your call to action to come back to your website.
0: And I, we, we've we reviewed some similar tools. I know a couple of years ago we looked at, I think it was called Sniply, uh, which was an interesting one. I got very animated and excited about this until Daniel pointed out to me, actually, Kieran, you, you're putting messages on someone else's website, sort of opening up a bit of an iframe. Uh, for, for the calls to action the stuff that you were linking to, and that that opened up a whole can of worms in kind of the the, the ethical side of, of this and i think that 's what 's interesting about sherry you sort of dodged that really by putting it into this safe space now what, what were you, what was your thinking on kind of how ethical it is sharing other people 's content like that
1: so i I think that 's a really great point, point. and you know when i when I set out to make sherry, you know one of the things that was important to me. Was to make sure that the you know the original content creator had you know proper attribution. So you know there's a couple you know there's a couple approaches you can take. So yeah, I'm familiar with Snipply, and you know they put the call to action. You know basically, you know they co-opt you know the destination website, and you know the risk you run into. I mean that's certainly a viable path to go, but it's a little off-putting to have somebody else's content on your own website. Um, and what I wanted to focus on is, you know, make the content front and center uh, and make sure that, you know, the, the authors are properly attributed. So we don't claim that the content that you curate is your own. You know, we put, uh, you know, we attribute the author and link back to the source content. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't index the page. Uh, so it's not, you know, we're not stealing SEO. You know, it's very similar to, if you're familiar with tools like Flipboard or Pocket or Instapaper, mm. you know, we just are basically building a, a nice readable version of the of the curated content uh, with with the call to action on top of it.
0: Yeah, it's no different really to what Google's doing at the moment. We're, we're you know pulling in snippets into the search engine results pages. Uh, you know that you get a link to the original piece. I do sometimes question how obvious they make it. <laughs> you, do, you sometimes just sort of grab it without seeing who it's attributed to. But I think I think. Um, yeah, that kind of sharing's a lot more common. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that was,
1: you know, that that was sort of the impetus. So, you know, it was like I was looking at, you know, most of my consumption was through, you know, tools like Feedly and Pocket. And, and I was like, you know, this is this is very similar in that
0: regard. And what, what kind of um, benefits and uplift have you seen for, for customers using this? You know, can you can you really drive significant conversion rates through your your sort of third party content that you're sharing? So what I've been looking
1: at, uh, so, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of, uh, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, eating your own dog food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we, you know, I actually use Sherry as a promotional vehicle for, uh, for Sherry. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing, I actually had somebody send me a tweet or sorry, send me an email who just signed up for the service. And he said, I can't believe I found you via Twitter. He's like, you know, I, he was shocked because, you know, he he responded to basically he followed through the you know the 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 various steps of the funnel starting with Twitter and people talk about you know all the noise in social media and that it's hard to break through and you know to, to get an email like that it, it really made my day so you know it's from my perspective it's you know it's been a win in fact I actually you know it exists because you know I built an initial prototype for myself and I was like wow this is working way better than I expected. Mm so what's next on the roadmap for for sherry so you know right now I'm, I'm mainly focused on uh, you know dialing into a good product market fit you know I'm you know my backgrounds in product development so I'm really you know, customer-centric in terms of listening to feedback from customers and you know giving them the features that they're they're looking for. Uh, you know, near-term plans. It's it's mostly focused around adding additional analytics and optimizing the the workflow uh, from you know the share to publish to your you know to you know Buffer, Hootsuite, you know SocialPilot, and, and tools like that.
0: That's fantastic. So, if we want to find out more about Sherry, how do we how do we do that? Where do we go? Uh, so you can visit us at com. Fantastic. And uh, I'd recommend, even if you're not interested in the tool, pop along because actually uh, Joe's got some really good reviews of some very funky looking tools. I, I was having a look at them this afternoon and uh, yeah, no, it's a good read your blog. Thank you.
1: Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. I just, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of a marketing tool uh, geek and I'm, I'm always interested in finding, you know, things that make my job easier. You know, right now, I'm a solopreneur, so any any opportunities to streamline my uh, my workday and automate things is uh, is really uh, you know something that jumps out at me.
0: There's some definitely brilliant time time saving time saving tips and tools. I'm I'm going to be putting a few of them into into action myself. But uh, thank you so much for for the time, Joe. Thank you, Kieran. It was great. Wish you the very best of luck with with this tool. Yeah, go go, go check it out, guys. Thanks a lot, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the Digital Marketing Podcast brought to you by Target Internet. If you're investing in your digital marketing skills, take a look at our free benchmark skills test and look at the wealth of online learning we provide to help marketers get up to speed and stay up to date. Just visit targetinternet.com forward slash benchmark.